Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Today is Horticulture Day. I'm Charity Nebbe. And what are your plans this weekend? Chances are good you've got a few yard and garden chores you should take care of before it gets really seriously cold. And we've got some expert guides here today. Cindy Haynes is a professor of horticulture at Iowa State University. Hello, Cindy. Good morning. And Aaron Style is here, Iowa State University Extension horticulture specialist. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. So what's on your agenda for the weekend? You what's know, on your list? It, it's, it looks like it's going to be a decent weekend, at least for, for me in central Iowa, to do uh, quite a bit of stuff in that, you know, we had a later start, I feel like, to the cold temperatures this year. Yeah. Um, most of us didn't get a frost until just last week, which is a little bit later than normal. Mm-hmm. Not absurdly but late. But it came but with a, a vengeance. It, like, it was <laughs> abnormally warm and then all of a sudden very, very cold. And I thought, oh, my gosh, there's lots of things I haven't done. Yes. Yes, that's true. Well, thankfully, the soil is an incredible buffer. So uh, even though it got really cold above ground, below ground, just fine. Not a big issue for most plants. So one of the things that I usually wait for is that first frost to knock back my tender perennials, my cannas, my elephant ear, that kind of thing. And boy, it got knocked back very hard (laughs) this this time. Uh, But I uh, just yesterday I was out and I was able to dig up all of my tender perennials. And so I'll Dig those up, cut the back, the damaged foliage, dig them up, let them kind of dry for a week or two, and then find a good place to store them. Cool and dark, not below freezing, of course, kind of 40s, 50s, root cellar temperatures, root cellar conditions, really. Uh, if you if think only about we that. all had a root cellar. I know, right. But we can envision one. <laughs> right. So, um, and then usually I store mine in either shredded newspaper or some folks really like vermiculite or perlite to right. store theirs in because they need to stay dry, but they can't dry out completely. So you got to find something like that. So that's a really great task if you haven't done that already. Um, my cannas, for example, uh, quadrupled in size this summer. So I have a lot more cannas to plant next year. And even not, even if not all of them make it through this winter, you know, that I lose some of them in storage, I will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody's getting for Christmas from Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These yes. cannabals are, bulbs are beautiful. Right. So um, those are your tender perennials. Yes. With other perennials, though, you don't need to do nearly as much as some of us do, no. right? You know, there was a movement, I don't know, it was at least 30 years ago where we started doing this like clean slate thing in the perennial garden. It was a, There right. was a lot of folks who were really interested in cutting everything back in the fall. Some of it I get. It gets really busy in the spring. And so it, this is a task you could potentially do in the fall. But in reality, our perennials do much better if you just leave the foliage in place. Um, We've heard a lot of talk, too, about benefiting pollinators, and there's not really any research for a garden setting that shows that plants, a garden bed, has an impact on pollinator populations. Can't hurt, though. But really, the thing that I like about it is it helps the plants better over winter. That kind of little blanket of dead leaves that's left over on top of your hostas. Not that hostas have a hard time overwintering, but every little bit can help. Um, is so that's helpful. Plus it can collect some stuff that's blowing around. So it adds a little bit more of a blanket like leaves and those kinds of things. But the other thing that's really nice is it's more interesting over the winter when you clear 
everything out of the perennial garden in the fall. There is nothing to look at until things start emerging in early April, maybe late March. Uh, whereas if you leave behind the cone heads of echinacea or the the tall kind of standing grass of your ornamental grasses, even the stuff that you not necessarily think of as as being super ornamental over the winter, I'm thinking about like my Veronica, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not the most noteworthy looking thing, but it certainly is better to see that uh, poking up through the snow than nothing. So um, that alone leaves me. Plus, you know, if I can put it off, why not? Right. <laughs> The only thing I'll remove in the perennial garden are those things that have been diseased. So if I have some some peonies that have powdery mildew or, you know, um, something that had a disease issue, then I'll remove that foliage just to kind of sanitize the area. Yeah. But but you're right. Be be a little lazy because it is interesting and it actually benefits the plants. Yeah. And I do have one or two things Mm -hmm. that reseed with a vengeance and so I will cut back that stuff in the fall too so that I don't get quite so much popping up everywhere Uh, I really love that my native columbine kind of plants itself all over my shade garden but after a while it gets to be a little much (laughs) and so cutting back some of that can help with that reseeding so I think there's a real movement to do a little less in the Mm -hmm. fall in a lot of ways. And we'll talk about leaves here in a moment. But doing a little less can also, as as you were saying, it can protect some perennials. So, I mean, Cindy, do you recommend mulching, doing a little bit just to to maybe protect those roots? Sure. If there's any kind of newly planted perennials, particularly perennials that you planted late in the season that maybe didn't get a really good root system established. I might mulch, um, put some extra kind of landscape mulch on top of those. Or if there's a tender perennial that that is marginally cold hardy, then I might mulch on top of that. Um, Sometimes I mulch over where I plant bulbs so that I know where I've planted the bulbs. Yeah. So in the spring. So there's, yeah, I'm always finding some some mulch over some things. Those things that um, aren't rooted well have a tendency to heave in the winter. Um, and those things that are kind of newly planted or marginally hardy. Yeah. A little extra protection for the first couple of years is a good idea. Now, this time of year, we often talk about letting <clears throat> some things um, sort of get some frost experience, like your strawberries, making right. sure that, that they've experienced some cold before you protect them for the winter. Has it been cold enough? It's been, you know, <laughs> we got that one, uh, it was like maybe one or two days across much of the state where it got down in the mid-20s for a lot of folks. Yes. And that's pretty cold. We usually want to see maybe a little bit more extension okay. of that because it got warm again. I right. mean, relatively speaking, right. it's not warm. Let's be real. But yeah. <laughs> uh, relatively speaking, it did get warmer. And so uh, we want to see kind of at least three better, more like five to seven days of some pretty consistently okay. so cool hold temperatures. Off. Hold off on your strawberries. Yeah. I mean, usually we want to get it done by Thanksgiving. Yeah. Most years it's around Thanksgiving. And actually mulching most things around that time works really <clears> well because if mm-hmm. you do it too early, you can prevent your perennials from going dormant um, potentially or they'll go mm-hmm. dormant later, which can cause problems. I often, my goal is to do it right before the mulch pile freezes. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, late. It's That's fairly late. That says something about you. You always have a mulch pile. 
Yes, I try anyway. Mm-hmm. I would be, think. Know. I would be shocked if you didn't, Erin. That's a good thing. What about roses? Is that something we need to be thinking about right now? Um, hybrid tea roses. We also need to think about them. Um, most of your shrub roses are hardy. Do nothing. There should be fine. But if you have some hybrid tea roses, soil around the base. We can start doing that, um, and then straw on top. And once again, we usually have that done by Thanksgiving. All right. How about the vegetable garden? Yeah. So we talked a lot about kind of being lazy and leaving stuff sit around. That one spot in our garden where that is not advantageous is the vegetable garden. So we don't really have any native plants in there. So we're not like helping out pollinators by leaving debris there for the most part. Um, And there are many, many pest and disease pressures in the vegetable garden. And we do know that pulling out some of that stuff, in particular for diseases in the fall, can help a lot. So uh, cleaning up those vines from the squash, cleaning up those tomato plants and, and peppers and all of that stuff in the fall, composting it, getting getting it out of the vegetable garden area um, is a good idea. And you can cover the ground with some mulch if you'd like. You could plant a cover crop. It's getting kind of late to plant a cover crop now. But um, manure. Yeah. Now would be the time to spread manure if you're the kind of gardener that likes to use manure. Fall is the best time to do that. Um, and you could till in the fall, too. Some gardeners really like to till a lot of that, uh, <clears throat> the leaf debris that you collect in your garden and manure and some other things in the garden. It can help the soil warm up faster in the spring, which allows you for earlier planting in the vegetable garden, which can be really nice. I don't till my vegetable garden, and that works, too. Um, but if you are the kind of person that likes to till, fall is a good time to do that, too. Now, I, I know that... Farmers have been asked not to till their fields in the fall because of soil loss. Wouldn't you have soil loss in the garden with fall tillage? You could. You could. It depends on if it's a slope. But you think of most homeowner gardens, it's pretty level. It might be in a raised bed. You're not going to lose quite as much in some situations. My yard is very windy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got the Lost Hills going on. Um, no, it's it, it kind of it kind of depends. Sometimes I like to till in like that manure just a little bit because um, it's really hard sometimes to do that tilling in the spring because Sorry. it's so wet mm-hmm. usually. So, um, it, yeah, it depends. And you don't have to do it every year. So that's the other nice thing. Let's talk about leaves. Uh, that's another place where we've seen a lot of change in how we deal with mm-hmm. leaves. Cindy, how do you deal with your leaves? Um, I try and mow them. Um, so the leaves that fall on my lawn, we mow over them several times. It's to a mulch them up. Okay. It's a mulching mower. It's an electric mower. So it kind of filters it all in. I have way more leaves than, than that. So I'm still blowing leaves into a pile and putting them on the compost pile too. So in the areas that otherwise I have enough trees and enough leaves that they're blowing all over the neighborhood. So... Um, to be a good neighbor, I compost some of them, and I try and mulch in as much as I can on the lawn. Try not to leave this heavy leaf load on the lawn all right. winter. So the the leaf load could kill your grass or it whatever's could. underneath mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But that mulching, that actually enhances your lawn, right? because right, it kind of filters in, and it's an, it's an organic um, material. It becomes like a, a fertilizer compost over time. So how do you decide if you need to rake your leaves, Erin? <clears throat> If you can't see the grass, that's when you need to do something yeah. about it. And uh, and this is really just for the lawn. Um, right. The leaves that fall into my landscape beds, into my perennial borders, unless it's like three foot deep or something crazy, I let that stuff be. It yeah. helps insulate the plants. 
there's no reason for me to pull the leaves off of the perennial garden, compost them, and then put the compost back on the perennial garden. Let's just leave it there and allow it to compost in place or, or decompose in place. Uh, but if you don't clear the leaves off of your lawn, you will end up with big bare spots in the lawn, which then colonize with weeds. Um, not all those weeds are really beneficial to pollinators. I think about foxtail and crabgrass and those things. Um, and so we want to try to avoid that. So all that's right. why we talk about removing leaves in the lawn so much. But mulching is a great option oh, yeah, it's for way easier. a lot of us. Uh, yeah, I love this trend. Yeah. So much easier. Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Cindy Haynes, Professor of Horticulture at Iowa State University. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety Newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Today is Horticulture Day, and you are welcome to join our conversation. Give us a call, 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100. You can also send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me this hour, I have Aaron Style, Iowa State Extension Uni- Iowa State. University Extension Horticulture Specialist, and Cindy Haynes, Professor of Horticulture at Iowa State University. They're here to answer your questions. And Cindy, we also we didn't talk about planting bulbs. Is it oh. is it time to plant my bulbs or should I wait until it's no. just about to snow and I have to go you, out? You and I usually wait until the last minute. This is the weekend. We're going to do it ahead of time. Are we? I'm okay. going to yes, we're going to do it this weekend. We're going to get it taken care of when it's decent outside. Right. Um and not freezing Not even going to be painful. I yes. won't get frostbite doing mm-hmm. it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That just, seems like a great just, plan. Once again, make sure you get it done before Thanksgiving. <laughs> All right. 866-780-9100. We'll start with a few email questions here. Amanda in Waterloo says, "I typically plant garlic earlier in the fall, but this year has gotten away from me." With the temps a little warmer over the next week, will I be able to plant garlic today and have it survive in the ground in the winter? Yeah, it should be just fine. Um, It's a lot like our spring blooming bulbs, like tulips and that stuff. We're kind of treating garlic in a very similar way. And so ideally, you would plant it a little bit earlier so it can establish a little bit more. So you might have maybe a slower start next spring or slightly smaller bulbs next spring, but uh, you'll be okay. All right. Um, Here's a question from Lynn in Des Moines. How do I prepare my strawberry bed for winter? Some of my ever-bearing plants have blossoms, and I've read that the plants need to be trimmed. Yeah, so um, ideally you'll remove um, flowers, and uh, you're going to wait until the the hardest part about covering strawberries is getting it done at the right time, because if you do it too early, you prevent the plants from going fully dormant early enough in the season. And then when it does get super cold, they get, they see a little bit more damage as a result. Um, So often most years, and I would suspect this year will be very similar right before Thanksgiving is often a good time to do this. 
um, and you're gonna you're gonna eat, spread straw. You could use pine needles too. Mm-hmm. The magic oak leaf isn't a great idea. I, I hear a lot of folks talk about how oh oak leaves are great for mulching. Um, oak leaves are really good at smothering too. So, and right. that's the thing we're trying to avoid. That's why we're u- using such a loose material like straw, like pine needles, uh, to cover these plants. We're trying to protect the flower buds. Uh, right. The plant is perfectly hardy. <clears throat> we're trying to pre- protect the flower buds. So, um, that's one of the reasons why I would look at potentially removing some of the flowers. Um, so that you're not getting fruit development this late in the season, which can be uh, really hard on the plant. Um, and then in the spring, pulling it off at the right time can be really difficult too. Often folks will pull it off and they'll just rake it to the side because if we get an unusually late frost, you can put it right back, you can on. Put it right back on to protect, mm-hmm. again, protect those flower buds. Here's an interesting one from Patty. She says, the tiny crab apples on my tree do not fall off. They get covered in ice. Is this a burden for the small tree, and should I remove them? No, it's not. The The newer crab apples um, have more persistent fruit. Um, that's a really good thing, and it's kind of a bad thing. It's a good thing because we have something to look at in the winter. Um, and when they fall, they're usually like little dried-up raisins. So it's not a burden for the plant. It's it's a missed opportunity for some birds because this isn't something they're going to eat first. It's uh, usually something that's there later that they can eat last. All right. So if you so, leave it, maybe you're giving yeah. somebody a snack when they really need one. Exactly. I also think that some of those ice-colored crab apples oh, are beautiful. very beautiful they're beautiful <laughs> some of my favorite winter pictures that get posted mm-hmm. all right 866-780-9100 is the number to call let's go to the phones bob is on the line in carlisle hi bob hello um, hi. i have a question regarding hello can you hear me yep go on yes i have a question regarding the old-fashioned variety of christmas cactus i've been able to obtain some what's the best way to actually get bring that plant in the bloom yeah, so Christmas cactus needs to have short days to bloom. And I, I think the number is 10 hours of light or less. So that would be 14 hours of darkness or more. That's actually more important. Um, I bring that up because often this time of year, we have a lot of lights on in our house. And that can mm-hmm. actually interrupt that cycle. So making sure often the best way for me to get this done is to put it like in a spare bedroom where I'm not in there every day. And then once I noticed it bloom, I can pull it out and enjoy it while it's in bloom because they're really not in bloom for an extended period of time. I have had situations where the window side of the Christmas cactus has bloomed and the room side has not because of light pollution from Mm. me turning lights on in the home. So making sure that it gets those uh, short days uh, is really beneficial. Most The other thing that Christmas cactus have that's kind of interesting, they also do need a temperature change. But almost all of us, the way we maintain our home provides that temperature change. So if you're providing short days, 14 hours of darkness or more, and you're not seeing bloom, look at your temperature uh, because you may be keeping your house a little bit different in temperature and that's preventing the bloom. Right. But So it needs to be cooler? It needs a drop in temperature okay. between day and night and from earlier in the season till later. Um, and most of us just naturally end up doing that in our right. homes. Um, but everyone Because we don't want to spend that much money <laughs> right. in our homes. Right. Exactly. So... I, I the conditions that you've described sound like a spare bedroom would be ideal for mm-hmm. a while or I yeah. don't know that yeah, room like a, that you don't use in the evenings. Yes. 
is ideal, and yeah. then you can bring it out. How long does it need those short days before you see the blooms? It's usually at least three to four weeks. Um, Say two months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's a while. It's mm -hmm. a while. But most of them, even if you don't give it to them right away, if you do eventually get them, they'll just bloom <clears throat> a little bit later. Right. right. And many of us are Christmas cactus bloom at Thanksgiving. So right. um, it's maybe not a big deal if it's a little bit later. Right. Right. Well, and some of those holiday cacti That's are actually geared for different holidays. You're right. So. That's why we call them holiday. They're going to bloom somewhere between Thanksgiving and Easter. Right. There's, got, there's bound to be a holiday in there somewhere. Yep. And we've got about two months until Christmas. So, right. Bob, maybe you yeah. can get that to happen. All right. Thanks so much for the call. Next, let's go to Nick in West Des Moines. Hi, Nick. Good morning. What's your question? I have a very large patch of Pachysandra, and I am fighting Volutella blight and Euonymus scale. The blight I can control. The scale, I have a hard time getting my insecticide or horticultural mm -hmm. oil onto the stems and through the leaf canopy. Is there something else I can use, uh, systemic or something like that, that would control that? Hmm. I don't know of a systemic. Do you know of a systemic? Not for not offhand. I, I mean, w one of the things I was going to suggest, and I don't know if you, well, you think of this, Cindy, but um, sometimes when you have a really bad outbreak like this, especially if you're having a really hard time using pesticides because you can't physically get it there. Pachysandra is a plant that could be mowed. Yeah. Uh, so mowing it down to a shorter height would not only physically remove a lot of that material, but also would allow you to more easily apply a pesticide if that's what you're using. Um, it will be a little hard on the Pachysandra, but right. it will recover from it, especially if you can get rid of the scale. Right. It, especially if it's well established, it'll come back just fine. I think what I would also make sure, scale is really difficult to control, period, on what, no matter what it is. Let's find the time when you're going to spray when, when it is most vulnerable. So that would be the other thing to kind of, because sometimes it's very timing dependent, you know, Magnolia scale is sprayed in summer, and lilac scale is is sprayed in over the winter. So you know, there's lots of things to kind of think about. So do a little research to see maybe when would be the best time to spray, um, so that you can eliminate a generation and maybe go in and mow or thin, just mow in some areas so that you can get it in there. Um, because an insecticide is probably your best option for this one, and it's probably not a systemic, um, I'm sorry to say, um, and it's probably going to require more than one spray. Um, scale mm -hmm. is just that tough. All right. Well, good luck with good luck. that. Let's go next to Don in Solon. <clears throat> Hi, Don. Hi there. What's your question? I just have some question about cutting back um, a few things. I guess a few plants like spirea, if that should be cut, cut to the ground. And then I have a black lace elderberry that's pretty leggy, and I don't know if I should cut that back to have it, you know, so it would get fuller. And then um, I was just listening to a conversation earlier. My daylilies, I was going to, I always cut to the ground and wonder if I should leave those uh, yeah. until spring. All of those things I would leave until spring uh, to do any kind of cutback if you're going to do cutback. Unless you saw a lot of disease issues on your daylilies, sometimes daylilies have a, like a leaf streak issue mm -hmm. and some of those other things, then removing it then would be beneficial. You can 
cut back Elderberry and Spirea uh, basically as like a, a renovation kind of type pruning. If you did do that, it would be late March. winter yeah. um, to do that. And both of those plants actually respond fairly well to that kind of pruning. Of course, the size drops dramatically, um, but neither of them are really impacted. Uh, the flowering of neither of those plants is really impacted. Um, Spirea blooms on new growth, and so that's not a problem. Elderberry uh, does too, I think. Yeah. So um, it, it, uh, I do maintain some of my elderberry that way because mm -hmm. I want to keep them smaller, and they do get leggy sometimes, and so that can help help with that. So, but I wouldn't do it until spring break or later in 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 March. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank Dawn, you. thanks a lot for the call. Your weekend just opened right up. That's great. Uh, let's go next to Gail in Ankeny. Hi, Gail. Hi, Charity. Um, Charity, I have a question about a hardy hibiscus or Rose of Sharon bush. Um, it's about three years old, and it's gotten sort of spindly and flowers nicely. But uh, last summer, uh, it all drooped you know, the blossoms and the seed pods, I guess they are, um, were just too heavy for it. Mm. We were wondering if pruning it back would help with that, and when would we do it? All right, what do you think? So Rose of Sharon is a lot like a lot of our blooming shrubs, um, and so you could prune it back. I wouldn't do it until spring if you really wanted to. Maybe to help it kind of, I would do some selective cuts, removing inner branches or branches that are growing inward to try to promote um, lower buds on the on the plant to break and, and hopefully give you a little bit fuller looking plant. I wouldn't remove more than about a third at the most, maybe more like a quarter of the total mass of the shrub uh, when you do that pruning. And again, I would do that, you could do that any time in the month of March um, without any big issue, but not this time of year. Um, doing it now would promote it to like try to start growing again. Right. And this is a really tough time for a plant like that to try to grow again. So uh, doing it in late winter uh, would be best. And then hopefully you can get a more fuller <clears throat> plant. Over time, it will get fuller. Uh, some of those, I've noticed some of those newer varieties of Rose of Sharon are quite compact and can be right. narrow mm -hmm. on purpose. They were bred that way. People like small, compact plants for the most part. And so uh, it may just need a little bit more time to fill out. Gail, thank you so much for the call. 866-780-9100 is the number. 866-780-9100. Or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Next up is Neil in Des Moines. Hi, Neil. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Okay, great. Um, just And I know you've been talking about shrubs and lawns, et cetera. I have a, a tree question. And Go for it. We have a... We have a very we have a very mature cottonwood on a farmstead, and because of some planning we're doing for an event, we really need to. It has one branch, but it has, it has several branches. But it has a, a lower branch about 15 feet off the ground that goes out about 20 feet, and it really gets. And the question I have is, going to have to take that branch off, and a question about timing, and uh, any other considerations that really don't want to harm the tree. The tree's probably 150 years old. Sure. Yeah. If you can wait until February, um, Perfect. that would be, that would be great. That would be a, a good time to do that work. 
if it's a just making sure that when you remove the branch, you remove it back to its point of origin. You're not lopping it off somewhere halfway down the branch, for example, because cottonwood in particular would be very prone to uh, lots of new growth and it'd start looking like the Whomping Willow from Harry Potter. And that's going to be a really tough branch for that tree to maintain. Um, it's going to be more likely to see storm damage, that kind of thing. So make sure that whatever branch you remove, you move it back to its point of origin, whether that's the main trunk or another larger branch, um, and do it in February, and it should be just fine. All right, Neil, thanks so much for the call. Next up, Jane in Ames. Hi, Jane. Hi, how are you today? Good. What's your question? Hello. I had a similar question. It's about my birch trees. Is it better to prune them in the fall or is it better to wait till February? And I've already said February. My birch yes. trees are huge. Yes. If you can wait till late winter, early spring, that is ideal. Uh, we, we really try to avoid pruning, even though all of us want to do I want to do oh, it no. this time of year yeah. because leaves are falling off. We can see you that see tree. You see the structure. You yeah. see right. it very well. But and it's nicer time, outside than in February. <laughs> it is nicer outside, too. But this is a really stressful time of year to be plant, uh, pruning any woody plant because, again, they... They are uh, stimulated to promote new growth when you make a pruning cut, and this is a terrible time of year to promote new growth. So late winter, early spring, basically February through the end of March, early April would work very well for pruning really your birches or yep. any other woody plant in the landscape. Here's an email question from Dan. He says, I picked a couple of bushels of green tomatoes before it froze. What nice. is the best way to ripen them for the best quality with the minimum amount of spoilage? Yeah, so um, so I depends on how many you have. You can bring a few and just put them in on your kitchen counter, um, and they'll ripen slowly over time. If you want to kind of, if you have a lot and you want to pause them for a little bit longer, you can wrap them in like newspaper and put them in a cool area, and then just kind of check on them. They'll they'll some of them will take almost a month to ripen, but it is so amazing to have a BLT in December from a, a vine ripened tomato. Right, right. So it's worth it. The, so just keep keep checking on them, rotate them, because sometimes they'll rot. Um, but yeah. 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 And, and you want to take those out. And, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And wrapping them in newspaper helps or just spacing them. Ideally, right. they're not touching each other. Right. Um, so uh, we always laid out a piece of flat cardboard uh, just in a corner of the basement and kind of lined them up on there. And then you can see them all. They're not touching each other. You can pull out the ones that don't look, look good, good. Mm -hmm. um, as that uh, kind of happens. And uh, once they start to kind of show that blush color, then I'll pull them up onto the kitchen counter. They'll ripen a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. All right. We are going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. You can give us a call at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. It is Horticulture Day today. With me, Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist, and Cindy Haynes, Professor of Horticulture at Iowa State University. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today. We are here to answer your questions. Give us a call at 866 780 
888-900-9100 or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me today, Cindy Haynes, professor of horticulture at Iowa State University and Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension horticulture specialist. And here's another tomato-related question. Um, Bob wants to know if it's okay to put tomato plants in the compost or will that lead to blight for future crops? What about composting other vegetable plants? Sure. Um, We all have put pumpkins and other things in the compost pile. Um, Ideally, if the compost pile gets hot enough, then the seeds of some of those don't germinate. So so the, the problem with that is if your compost pile doesn't get hot enough, then you might see some seedlings of squash or pumpkin show up. Um, and you might even see a few tomato right. seedlings. It so seems like kind of a fun surprise. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> um, so it's not a bad thing. Just, just keep turning the compost pile so that it's doing what it needs to be doing. And, and crop rotation is going to be mm-hmm. much better way to avoid early blight and some of those other common tomato diseases than worrying about the compost uh, that you might put back on the garden. Crop rotation is going to make a huge difference more than the compost. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Lisa is on the line in Oskaloosa. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Hi. What's your question? Hi. My question is, I've got a, a patch of lavender that I've been growing for a couple of years, and I am trying to determine whether I should trim it back. It's getting pretty mm-hmm. woody at the bottom. I don't know mm-hmm. if I should do it now in the fall, or is that something that's done in the spring? Yeah, that would be something I would wait until spring. I might actually wait until I see some new growth on the lavender. Um, Lavender can have a tendency in a really bad year to kind of die back a little bit. So it might be a little, it might, you might get uh, a lot of new growth from this woody stems, or it might be kind of dying back to the base. So let the plant tell you um, where it wants to be pruned back to um, and wait once again to do that in uh, late spring, early spring, as it's kind of starting to leaf out. Lavender's marginally hardy, so mulching it maybe a little bit um, is not a bad idea sometime after Thanksgiving. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much for the call, Lisa. Next up, Emily in West Des Moines. Hi, Emily. Good morning. Thanks so much for taking my call. Sure. What's your question? I have some beautiful uh, potted ferns up on my front porch that I unfortunately think I waited too long to bring them into the house or the garage. So I'm wondering if they might still be salvageable to winterize or if unfortunately they are probably too damaged. Oh, there's some stressed out faces here (laughs) in the studio. I I suspect that they (laughs) I suspect they got hit pretty hard. If there's any kind of little green growth down inside the plant, it might have made it. But even then, next year, it's not going to be a great looking plant. No. And you're going to have a messy uh, kind of always dropping stuff, uh, dead dead leaflets and things in the house all winter, only to come into spring with something that you're not going to want to hang up on your front porch anyway. The good news is, is that a Boston fern basket uh, in, in May is usually less than 20 bucks. So... <laughs> Um, it's not, uh, hopefully a, a huge hit, uh, but that 25 degrees that Des Moines got yeah. to, uh, last week, that would have definitely put a Boston fern, really any hanging basket fern, tropical fern, uh, com- if not completely under almost. 
Sorry, Emily. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, let's do a few email questions here. You can send your questions to Talk of Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. Marlene in Ankeny says, I have a fiddle leaf fig plant that is between six and seven feet tall. Nice. It has two liters but doesn't branch out at all. Would pruning it make it fuller? It is very healthy looking and stands up without support. How tall can it get? They can, they can get huge. Yeah, they can get very big. So, yes, they can get very big. Yes, you can do a little tip pruning on it, but I would wait again until March, and that will force it to branch out a little bit more. Um, and that it's great that she's got one this big. So yeah. just a little tip pruning, wait again until March or April. And it's always a coarse-looking plant. It is. So it's never going to be as kind of, especially grown indoors, it's never going to be this, like, full and lush um, kind of large, shrubby-looking thing. It's always going to have this very coarse-looking habit. But, but she's doing well in growing this plant because it's not one of the easier ones to grow. No, as, so. as much as Instagram would make you believe everybody <laughs> has one, everybody who has one, for the most part, puts has it on Instagram. One. Right? Yeah, right. Um, they they can be very difficult to grow indoors. So. Uh, kudos to yeah keep it up gold star good Mm -hmm. job Um, peg from muscatine says i am having a new bed tilled now so i can transplant hostas next spring is it a good idea to till in this year's potting soil with roots from my elephant ear pots or what would be best to add to my not great yard soil you can add some potting soil and sure that would be fine I, I some of those elephant ears have bulbs, so those you may not want to till in, um, and especially if you want to save them uh, and bring them inside. But yeah, all of that kind of becomes compost, and if you're tilling it in now, it should be fine. All right, um, and getting more compost to till in getting, might be a great idea. It would probably be a great idea to get some more compost to till in with it. You can never add enough. (laughs) All right. uh, Diane in Riverside says, last Saturday, we planted two black gum trees. They came in three-gallon containers. We followed the instructions and watered them in about four gallons each. Since then, (laughs) we've had a few nights of temperatures in the 20s. Should we continue watering them? Yes. Continue to water them. Um, This is one that likes it a little moist. The soil is still warm enough. It's still growing root system. So... Make sure that it's watered once a week until the ground freezes. All right. And uh, Patrick writes, I received 50 saplings from the Iowa DNR, but I broke my foot and I will not be able to plant them in the ground. Oof. Sorry, Patrick. Will they be okay in nursery pots left outside or in my raised bed garden? I would probably overwinter them in a nursery bed. Um, So heal them in. They can be relatively close together. You can't heal them in. Well, that's, <laughs> oh, so that's cruel. true. <laughs> that, but, uh, yeah. That was a good pun. That was a really <laughs> good pun. <laughs> Making sure that you get them into the raised bed could be a really great way to potentially overwinter them. Once you get them in that raised bed, put up chicken wire around them so they don't get rodent damage over the winter. And then in the spring, you can early, early spring, before they leaf out, you can pull them up and plant them in their final location. It's harder to overwinter things in containers, and I would tell you if you had it in a container to bury the container. Right. So just skip the container, put them right in the ground. All right, Patrick, I hope you heal quickly, and good luck with that. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Mary's on the line from somewhere in Illinois. Hi, Mary. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, We planted a baby Kim dwarf lilac about seven years ago. And it finally bloomed this year and was 
beautiful and fragrant. However, we're having our house painted, so the painters asked me to trim it back, and this was a month ago, and boy, did I trim it back. I mean, it's leggy now. I mean, it was beautiful. (laughs) And this, again, was a month ago. Did I just kill this? Should I just write this off? No. And replant, I mean, I feel terrible. No, it's it's okay. Um, it's okay. Uh, fall isn't the best time to prune, and fall pruning of a spring blooming shrub meant that you pruned off some of the flowers uh, for next year. But mm-hmm. you know what this plant can do, so I would just let it go, and it will grow again. Okay. It may not bloom well next spring, but it'll come back the following spring and reward you with lots of blooms. So just leave it alone. Thank and you good so thing much. good thing I is you better. won't Yeah, good, you don't good, good. you won't get a new roof again for 20 years. So <laughs> so it'll be great. All right, Mary, thanks so much for the call. Sherry's up next in Iowa City. Hi Sherry. Yeah. Yes, I was wondering how do you care for dahlia bulbs that I've just uh dug out? Yeah, so after you dig them out, uh, cut off any of the above ground growth that was there. It's probably all kind of floppy and and dead anyway. Set them out in an area to kind of like air dry for about a week or so, Mm -hmm. and then uh, brush off any of the dry soil that's still stuck to them. And then you're going to store them in a kind of a loose material that holds a little bit of moisture. We don't want them to be wet but we don't want them to dry out completely. So perlite, uh, sphagnum moss, shredded newspaper, um, all can be really nice potential um, overwintering things. Some folks use sand. Um, I wouldn't start with sand, but uh, <laughs> but some folks have good luck with it. Um, and then you're going to check on them. I would check on them once a month. Make sure that they're not completely dried out. If they are, if the substrate's really dry, give it a little bit of water to re-moisten it and then um, you'll be able to replant in the spring. They'll probably some of them might be really large. Mm-hmm. I would not probably break <laughs> them apart until uh, closer to spring, um, unless you're going to do a good job of making sure they dry um, well before you put them uh, in that overwintering stuff, because that open cut or that open wound is a spot where it could begin to rot. And so I always wait till spring to propagate them to break them apart. All right. Okay. Sherry? Great. Yeah. Thank you so. much. Thank you for your call. Good luck with that. Um, next up, John in Des Moines. Hi, John. Hi, Charity. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was planning on um, on pruning back a pin oak this weekend. I have some dead branches on it, but after listening to your show, I'm starting to wonder if I should be waiting until spring. So with oaks, oaks are one of our exceptions. We often recommend pruning oaks between December and February um, because of uh, the risk of transmitting oak wilt disease. Um, And uh, the the insect that does that is not active between December and February. So we we can feel really good about that. If that dead branch is dangerous, remove it now. Um, And for the most part, you won't see a lot of issue with removing a completely dead branch. Uh, but if it can wait until uh, the mi- the middle of winter, that would be the ideal time to prune an oak tree. Um, I think the official we 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 always give very kind of generous like timing for this insect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can fudge it a little earlier and a little bit later with success, but December through February is the safest time to prune these plants. And it's good to be safe. It it's is. a valuable tree. Well, yeah, it's an oak. Right. It is a valuable tree. 
John, thanks so much for the call. Jackie is on the line next in Cedar Rapids. Hi, Jackie. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, what's your question? Um, I, again, after listening listening to your program, I have a, a humongous um, hydrangea plant, and I have peonies, and I have clematis that I usually trim after the frost. Mm-hmm. And after listening to your program, I'm wondering if I should wait and trim those down in the spring. What kind of hydrangea is it? Is it like an Annabelle hydrangea or is it a like a panicle hydrangea? Do you do you know? It's it's not an Annabelle. It's one that, okay. you know, can turn blue or, or oh, okay. pink, depending sure. on the acid of the soil. Yeah. So I and definitely sure what it's called. I would definitely wait until spring to prune back those because sometimes in a mild winter, they won't die back to the ground and you'll get better blooming if you can leave some of the stem material above ground. So definitely wait until spring when those little green kind of cabbage-like buds start to open up. That's when you would trim basically trim back the dead uh, areas because there will be some winter dieback, if not all the way to the ground. Uh, so do that um, in the spring. The peonies, peonies do have some disease issues yeah, often. Yeah, they can. And so cleaning them up, if you've had some disease issues, you can clean them up now and that would be fine. Yeah. All right. And the clematis? Oh, yeah. If You can prune back the clematis now if you really wanted to. But, but once again, if we have a mild winter, you might have more clematis than overwinters. Yeah. So I usually wait until spring and just prune back the dead. All right, Jackie, thanks so much for the call. Uh, email Lana in North Liberty says, I have a large raised tile planter in which I have beautiful maiden grasses. Two years ago, the newly planted grass did not survive the winter. Last year, I put straw around the base of each plant and they look great this year. Is this something that I should continue to do each year? And is it too early to do it now? Yes, you should probably continue to do it every year. Sometimes raised beds, planters are more exposed so the roots get a little colder i would once again wait until maybe after thanksgiving um, because we want them to get cold and to acclimate um, but before the ground freezes uh, put some nice straw around them all right pat in eastern iowa says can i still collect flowerhead seeds from marigold zinnias and i I don't know how to say this one gumfrina gumfrina absolutely globe amaranth (laughs) sure um this is a perfect time to collect Uh, seed from those and kind of, you know, clean them up and then store them so that you can sow them for next year. All right. Marilyn says, I have around 20 milkweed plants. The pods are still intact. What is the best way to plant milkweed in new places? So um, there's a couple of approaches you could take. You could spread the seed this fall um, and let Mother Nature do all of the vernalization or cold treatment, all that stuff. And then they'll they'll come up in the spring. You could sow the seed this fall in a nursery bed and then transplant them next spring when they emerge so that you can get them where you want them. Right. Uh, sometimes that's the hardest part about right. having milkweed in the garden. You could also hold on to the seed over winter and sow it in the spring but I'm pretty sure most milkweed does need a little cold treatment to it germinate. Does. And so then you would have to simulate that in <clears> your refrigerator, which I think is a lot of work when Mother Nature nature can just do it for me. Yeah, Mother Nature does this a, a much better job of this than we do. So, yeah, I like the nursery bed idea. 
All right. So we'll squeeze in at least one more here. Alex in Indianola says, we have a peach tree that had so many peaches that it made the limbs crack. One splintered and twisted. The other is hanging by a thread. Should we keep those limbs? You're probably going to have to do some pruning on them. Once again, you know, February or March is the time to do that. Um, And yeah, it's a little bit of a cleaning up uh, and pruning and maybe removing some of those limbs that are dead. All right. We have time for one more. Roberta writes, I am wondering how deep I can leave oak leaves on Pachysandra and Vinca without causing die out. Not deep. No, you should be able to still see it. Yeah. Uh, So if the leaves are so thick that you cannot see the plants underneath, it's probably too much and it'll smother it out. It does smother and it keeps it too wet. And both of those don't really like it wet over the winter. All right. We are out of time. Cindy Haynes, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Cindy Haynes, professor of horticulture at Iowa State University. Aaron Style, thank you. You're welcome. Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. We will be back with Hort Day again next Friday here on Talk of Iowa. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Caitlin Troutman, Danny Gear, and Samantha McIntosh. We had production assistance today from Steve Cooper. You never need to miss an episode. Subscribe to our podcast, Talk of Iowa, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Charity Nebbe. Have a wonderful weekend.